I'm Bill Lytell, pastor of Gospel Baptist Church of Bonita Springs. No doubt unusual times that we're living to be preaching to you over the air like this, however, is something we've been doing for many years here at the Gospel. Uh, I've been at gospelbaptistchurch.com, both on video and audio, as well as uh, sermonaudio.com recently. Uh, years ago, got an iTunes podcast, which is Gospel Baptist Church podcast on iTunes. Uh, some 166,000 downloads in one year in over 34 foreign countries. So I speak to you today, not just here uh, on this uh, local uh, channel, as you may want to say, or I say, I'm speaking to you um, over this uh, thing called video or audio. But I want you to know that we pray about this and ask God to do a great mighty work, which you know not. I want to talk to you about John chapter 4. This passage has been well worn over and over again. Uh, the woman at the well at Sychar. Uh, Jesus and his disciples had to make their way through Samaria. They're not happy about that. The disciples were not happy about going through Samaria. Samaria was a, a group of people that were half what the Jews would call half-breeds that in some respect had rejected about 50% or so of, of the Judaism and had put their heathenism with it. And God always hates a marriage of the world with his, with his work, always consistently through the Bible. Anytime people try to marry something from the world into the church, uh, into the work of God, he hates it. You can just mark that down, take it to the bank. I'm not going to read you the whole story. It's quite lengthy. Most of you out there have read the Bible enough to know it. You can refer back to it if you like to get more of the details. The part I am going to read is starting in John chapter 4, verse 30, and then I'm going to refer back to it and see if God will do something with us. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Jesus had come to the well from a long journey. You can imagine walking most everywhere you go. There was a well there that Jacob had dug so many years ago in this city of Sychar. He was weary, the Bible says. He sat on the side of the well. His disciples went into town to buy some meat or food for them, and he sat there. They came back after he spoke to the woman, and he said, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Verse 32. Therefore saith his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. I want you to mark that in your Bibles. You're painting, if you have your Bible there, John chapter 4, verse 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent him. The title of this message is How to Keep Going When You Can't Go On. How to keep going when you just feel like you cannot go on. Jesus got tired. He was in a body like we have. He, he felt weariness like we feel. Anybody in the ministry that's been in the ministry very long and worked for God, we don't work a 40-hour week. This is a life. We work nights and weekends. 
In fact, as the world's playing two days a week on Saturday and Sunday, most of the time we're working. We're either doing bus calling or possibly door-to-door calling or other visitation and work, nursing home visitation. We work, we work during the day, and then well as we work into the evening, hospital calls. We uh, have church all day Sunday. We don't want to have just one service on Sunday. We have Sunday school where we teach the Bible at 10 o'clock. Then we go ahead and have 11 o'clock worship service, preach, sing, together as a body of believers, greet one another. It's, it's a spiritual encounter of both uh, your, your, your friends are there, your family's there. You encourage people in the Lord. You get to see people over and over again. And the church is built and refreshed on Sunday. Again, it's Sunday night. We don't get enough with just those. When Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we have service again. Now, people may meet at different times during the day, but we, we don't feel like just one service a week is going to be enough. Wednesday, we have another service. We call it Bible study prayer meeting. We have a Wanda Clubs meeting simultaneously, a Spanish church meeting, because we don't want to just reach out to the English in our area. We're try, we've tried to reach the Spanish folks in our area. So Jesus had walked down there with his disciples. He was weary. It was about noon. The Bible says the sixth hour, Jewish time, that's noon. He was being weary. He sat in the side of the well, which had made, been made so many years ago by Jacob. The Samaritan woman approaches him with possibly a bucket or maybe an animal skin as she is going to get some water for herself. The disciples had gone into town, as I said before, to buy some food. She questions Jesus' willingness to talk to her. It's interesting, Jesus talked to her as a woman of Samaria. She was used to Jews rejecting her. She was not speaking to her, treating her as some sort of a heathen, some, some dirty person, and having no dealings, as the Bible says, with the Samaritans. But Jesus challenges her idea of water. She's there. Everybody knows that you have to have water to live. I've read articles that said you can't go more than three days without water. One of the biggest problems with getting sick is dehydration. So people don't drink. So it's important to keep hydrated, to drink. And these people had the same thing. Uh, He deals with this woman and offers her something she had never heard before, living water. She t- he told her, if you take the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. You can't get hard on her. She responds with doubt. He repeats and clarifies his offer. And fi- eventually she looks at him and says, well, give me this water. Jesus deals with her. Then Jesus begins to deal with her sinful past and her present sinful adulterous situation that she's in. The woman had been married five times, and the man she was living with, she was not married to. Committing the sin of adultery, every time you divorce and remarry, according to Jesus, you commit the sin of adultery. Not only had she done that five times, but now she's living with a guy and living in an open state, an open sore, of immorality. And Jesus identifies himself to this woman after he she confesses that that's true. Uh, he, she says, well, the Messiah is going to come someday. He's going to tell us all things. He said, and, I, and I'm going to tell you something. What a privilege it is for God to come to you. What a privilege it is for God to identify himself 
to you. And in the world of craziness and so many religions and so many so-called gods out there, for Jesus to come to you and identify himself as he did to this woman, what interests, is, what interests me is in the Bible, there's just a few occasions in the New Testament where he clearly, unequivocally identifies himself for who he is. The Pharisees had wanted to know who he was for a long, long time and quizzed him over and over. Tell us who you are. Tell us who your father is. Tell us where you're from. And he wouldn't do it. Here, this Samaritan woman, it's amazing to me. This, this adulterous woman, this, in, in any society you live, being married five times and divorced is bad. I mean, even the Hollywood stars oftentimes don't come up to the place or to the level of sinfulness as this woman. But he said to her in verse 26, I that speak unto thee am he. Wow. Wow. The Bible says she left at that point, went back into the city to tell those in the city who, who she found at the well. So what happens in the story is we pick up our text here in verse 30. The disciples show up. As she goes in, they come out. The disciples show up to give the food to him. Uh, he's eating takeout. Well, I know what that feels like, amen? Takeout food. Uh, they had gone in to the local McDonald's there and got on some takeout. McDonald's Steakhouse. And got a bag of uh, probably a, a Big Mac fries and brought them out to Jesus to eat. And, you know, Big Mac fries are good when they're hot, but man, no, they're not fit to eat when they're cold. And so they get the stuff to him. They want him to eat. But he didn't seem too interested in eating at that time. And he was, they could tell by looking at him, he was energized. He was energized by what had gone on there at the well. What energizes someone for a long, zealous life of service? Let me give you a few points that I observed out of this. The Holy Spirit will help you, and, has, and definitely has helped me. Uh, I've been in the ministry. I was ordained in 1976, some 44 years ago. And since I, began, since I was ordained in 76, a lot of my classmates who were called into the ministry by God have fallen away. Many of them have quit. And discouragement. Some of them have quit in shame because they've sinned. Some of them just uh, didn't feel it was worth going on anymore, discouraged, and got out of the ministry. The question is, in 44 years from now, will you still be serving God? Will you still be serving God? Let me give you some points to help you to continue serving God. First of all, I believe you need to get a drink of the living water, and you need to get a piece of the heavenly meat. He says, I have meat to eat that you know not of, he told his disciples. It was an energy source not known to the majority. Even the disciples were mystified. It was food for the soul. I believe if you can get a grip on this heavenly energy source, it will transform your life of service. It causes our needs to disappear in the light of others' needs. It causes a normal, normally weary body to get a huge burst of spiritual energy. How did these people we read about, and we read about in Christian biographies, how did they do it? How did Adoniram Judson, the first American missionary, spend almost two years of his life in a cage 
worse than animals would live, hung upside down at night to where just his shoulders would touch the ground in Burma. How did he do it with his wife dying there and his two little children dying there? How is it that he didn't give up and come home? Well, I've known missionaries, the least little problem they have, they're back home. All of a sudden, God didn't call them. But God did call Adoniram Judson. God did call him to give his life. And he did almost to the place of personal martyrdom, give his life in Burma. But what happened from that? Man, 130,000, 40,000 people were saved by the end of his life. He translated the Bible into Burmese. Just recently, we had two missionaries, uh, a pastor and his son, come from Burma and talk about how Adoniram Judson, that they're actually fruit of Adoniram Judson's ministry all these years, 270 years later. God is still saving souls through the work of this man, Adoniram Judson. He got a drink of the living water. He ate some of the heavenly meat that God has to offer. How did David Livingston from England, comfortable England, with all its luxuries, end up dying on his knees in a mud hut, sick, by himself, in the middle of Africa. How did he do that? Because he had gotten a drink of the living water and eaten some of the heavenly meat. How did a man like Hudson Taylor, we read about, that went to China, didn't have furloughs, didn't have deputation, no good communication back then, stay his life uh, in China and end up going to inland China with the gospel? What motivated people like Billy Sunday or D.L. Moody or Sam Jones or John Wesley to spend and be spent for the cause of Christ? I believe the list of people that have given their lives for Jesus is almost endless. Sacrifices too great for us to describe, of heartaches too deep for us to imagine, of endurances so long and so painful, one literally sits in astonishment at the hearing of them. But it's one thing to hear about that stuff, another thing to experience it. What? What motivates some of God's saints to strive for the masteries and never quit? The answer is they have gotten a drink of the living water. Have you? They've gotten a piece of the heavenly meat that God offers. The Holy Spirit of God has come to them. And they embraced him and received him. The second thing I notice, what energizes Jesus was his higher purpose. He says the meat that he had to eat and his, was to do the will of him that sent him. Whatever happens, Christian, get this. Get this. To do the will of him that sent me, Jesus said, is meat and his energy. God has uniquely and specifically equipped you to serve him. We don't eat and drink and take up space just to have fun. There's no more de-energizing kind of a life than a selfish life, a life lived for yourself. Some of the most miserable people in the world are those who are given over to living for themselves. What's the point of all labor and sorrow and suffering and education and cleaning and, and all that we go through if we don't do it for God and it doesn't last. Jesus had a higher purpose clearly in view for the woman at the well. The purpose was to do the will of him that sent him. Do you have a 
clue what God's purpose is for your life? Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, He said unto him, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every Christian. This is our prime directive. This is our high energy drink, our spiritual power. Seeing others respond and get the gospel is what fires Christians up. It's what fired Jesus up, though he was physically weary. It was the meat that they did not know of. Through the centuries, it has been the meat that has energized the heroes of the faith, and it'll energize you too. So we have a higher energy, the living water, and the meat of God's, of God's will and Holy Spirit. Then we have a purpose. And thirdly, Jesus had a higher mission. This is our ministry, our ministry. That his, his ministry, his purpose for being here is what kept him going. He said in John chapter 4, verse 34, I hope you mark it, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The higher energy source, the higher purpose, and the higher mission, the ministry, is what we need in our life. Do you have a ministry? I've said it for years. Every Christian needs a ministry. We need something to get your hands on, something to, as it were, sink your teeth in that will consume you for God. You cannot survive without specifics. You need something specific in your life. Years ago, I was 17 years old. A young man asked me to go out and help him on the bus minister, and I didn't want to help him. I was selfish, 17-year-olds, and the old world swirls around you. He kept after me and kept after me and kept after me. Finally, I thought, man, I got to go and get this guy off my back. So we went, bus calling that Saturday morning. I wanted to be out of the lake skiing, but he said, let's go Saturday morning. So we went out bus calling, and and uh, people know me sometimes, know that I don't like to be dirty. I try just, I can stay clean in a dirty environment. And yet, this brother took me out to this old ragtagged house. The door was off its hinges. If I remember right, it almost had dirt floors. As we walked up to the house, he was a little ahead of me. Uh, these four little kids come out, these little, these little, uh, these probably starting about two, three, four going on up. And these kids were, man, as I remember, they were dirty. Their hair was matted. Their face was dirty. Their ankles were dirty. Their necks were dirty. Their clothes were dirty. They, they, their teeth hadn't been brushed, I don't know if ever. Uh, they came up and they noticed that the one kid's nose was snot, had been running down it, and the dust had collected in the snot. And, Man, he looked, and I just thought to myself, and they, they came out, and that, that bus captain got up there close to him, and they all came out and said, ah, oh, the bus captain. And they ran out and grabbed that old boy by the leg and hugged him and loved on him. And, and I was standing in the back hoping they didn't see me. And them old, them old kids came over to me, and they grabbed me before I, could, I couldn't back away and get away from them. They grabbed me and hugged me. I think that one, old, I think that one kid, he, he wiped his nose on my clothes. I don't doubt it. And man, I was just, in, in, in some way I was horrified, and in another way I was overcome. I was overcome. God's hand at that time touched me. It was as if the Holy Spirit whispered, that 17-year-old selfish young man, this is your purpose. This is your purpose. And I thought to myself, not that. I couldn't get away from it. That night I thought about it, the next day I thought about it. And at 18 years old, I took my own, they gave me my own bus. They gave me the keys one day to this old yellow bus, old junky yellow bus. So you got a bus route. At 18 years old, they gave me a bus route in Elkhart, Indiana. And my wife, 
I was married by then, my late eight, I was almost uh, 19. And my wife and I were a real new little young baby, uh, less than a few months old, put him, put him in that old bus and went out and picked up over 25 kids a Sunday. And they were the same kind of kids, the same ragtag kids. And to brought them to Sunday school and told them about Jesus. You need a specific ministry. You say, Brother Bell, I'm struggling as a Christian. I'm struggling to really have motivation. My energy level is gone. I really don't want to go to church. It's a, it's a duty for me to get up, and I'm kind of forcing myself through it. Brother, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. You can get God's purpose for your life. You can put your hands on his plow. You can get something that makes a difference in people's eternal destiny, and God through that will be an energizing force in your life. It will energize you. You can trust me. Fourthly, what motivated Jesus at the well was his higher goal. He had a higher goal. Look in verse 34. Jesus said to them, I meet us to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Finish what you start. Finish what you start. Luke chapter 9, verse 62 says, And Jesus said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I think of the church of Laodicea. They were half-hearted. Oh, they gave half their hand. But brother, and sister in Christ, when you put your hand on God's plow, I'll give it everything you got. Our God is a consuming fire. I like that in the Bible. He doesn't want a little bit of time and a little bit of cash. He wants your whole life. We in the ministry understand that, that, that this is not a job. This is not 40 hours a week, 9 to 5 or whatever. This is a, this is a, a, life, a life call. So we have a higher energy source. We have a higher purpose. We have a higher mission. We have a higher goal. I think we should revel in it. We should rejoice in it. Yeah, we get weary. Yes, we get worn. Yes, we get weak. But brother, by the grace of God, even sometimes we have to sit on the side of the well to rest a little bit, but we never take our hands off of God's plow. We never back away from the ministry that God's given us. And, and we are continually energized by the Holy Spirit, the living water. We're continually energized by a higher purpose, by a higher mission. God himself allows us to have a goal in life. We're not drifting through this life. We have a goal of pleasing God and finishing the course. I like it in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul came to the end of his life. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not to me only, but to all of them that love is appearing. You know, that's for you. That's a promise you can grab a hold of. Do you have a ministry for God? Has God gotten a hold of your life and, and energized you through sickness, through bad weather? I remember that bus ministry. It would be 17 degrees below zero. I'd be out in that bus. We had an ice scraper, but it wasn't for the ice on the outside of the bus. It was for the ice on the inside of the bus. As I drove that, I'd have to scrape me about a six-inch circle. And uh, because of the humidity of the children breathing, it would freeze out of the windows. Brother, you can't have a bus ministry in a harder environment than that. And we reveled as we got those kids to church, let them hear the gospel, and some of them got saved, baptized, and got to take them back home. We reveled the fact we were at church at 5.30 in the morning just so we could let the bus idle for an hour so it'd run while we did the bus ministry. It energized us. 
How do you get an 18-year-old kid to do that? God does it. He gives you water. He gives you meat. He gives you a purpose. He gives you a mission. He helps you. He energizes you. Really what is horrible to others is enjoyable to you. While others are wasting their lives out on the beach, having fun, throwing parties, getting entertainment or entertained, you're investing your life in an eternal purpose where people will live forever. I hope you understand God's energy drink. I hope you understand God's energy food. And I hope you participate in the program that God has for each of his believers. Trust in him, and he'll do great mighty things through you that you know now. God bless. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.